Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning at Fusion City. Uh, if this is your first time hanging out with us, I'd love to take just a second and, and introduce myself. My name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here, and I have the opportunity uh, most weeks to, to come up here and we'll kind of look at God's Word and see what it says and see what we can learn together from that. And if this is your first time hanging out with us, man, we're really, really glad that you chose to come and to spend your time with us. We're excited about that so much that we'd love to give you a gift just for showing up. It's just our way of saying we really do like it when new people come and hang out with us. Now, here's how you get your gift. If you'll take a few seconds during um, your time with us together today to fill out the, the bottom portion of the program that you got when you came in and take that to the hub, the area located right inside the doors as you came in. We have a gift there for you. Like I said, just our way of saying thanks for spending some time with us. We're really, really glad that you're here. Uh, we're actually finishing up a series today called Storytellers, uh, but don't worry if you haven't been with us throughout the rest of the series. Um, you can catch up with us on the series if you'd like by listening to the podcast on our website. And um, since we are kind of taking individual stories out of Scripture, you haven't really missed anything necessary to really kind of dive in and, and, and follow along with us today, so, so don't fear that. What we've been doing in this series, like, um, kind of like I already said, was walking through some different accounts in Scripture of, of people's lives. Some of them may be a little bit lesser known to a lot of us if we don't have a, a very extensive background in church. And kind of figuring out how some of the lives of the people in Scripture who were real people. Sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we can kind of get ourselves in the mentality of thinking that these are, these are stories and maybe it's hard for us to remember that these are actually real stories of real people who really live and these are the accounts of their lives. And so what we've been able to do throughout this series is by taking a look at some of them, identify some characteristics or some qualities in their life that we can then apply to ours so that we can continue to tell the story of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and all the things that make him this amazing God that we serve by telling our story. In the same way that, that the people in scripture, their stories tell the story of God, so can our story. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip over there. We'll get there in a few minutes. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, so your, your fourth book into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John will be in John, uh, looking at the story of a man named Nicodemus. Now, before we get there, I want to set it up like this. Um, how many of you use a cell phone? Show of hands. Cell phones in the room. All right, that's all. All right, so just, just for um, some clarification so we're all on the same page, um, both of my grandmothers are here and just raise their hands. All right, so I, I know a lot of you, know, for a long time I thought technology just for those of us who um, aren't as seasoned, but, but now I think all, all, it encompasses all of us. We all use cell phones. Now, how many of us, could explain the science behind, Kevin, don't raise your hand, Kevin's a science teacher, um, who could explain the science about how a phone call or a text message gets from your phone to another person? All right, we got like two or three hands. All right, those are the, don't talk to those people, they're too smart. All right, don't hang out with them, they, just make, you, they make you feel dumb when you talk to them. See, here's, here's why I say that, because a lot of us, though we don't fully understand how something works, we don't use that as the baseline for our interaction with it. Like, I don't have to fully know how my cell phone works to still be able to participate in, in using my, my phone. Now, just for, for clarity so that we kind of get some, some baseline. There was a, a commercial a couple of years ago that I thought was hysterical because I could absolutely see some members of my family 
uh, getting it this wrong. Let's take a look at this together. Instead of mailing everyone my vacation photos, I'm saving a ton of time by posting them to my wall. Ooh, I like that one. It's so quick. It's just like my car insurance. I saved 15% in just 15 minutes. I saved more than that in half the time. I unfriend you. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. I saw that and kind of thought, there's a lot of you who need a Facebook class. Just, I'm just going to tell you right now, because some of the stuff that gets posted, uh, I'd like to see. That's not how this works. But you still use Facebook. Now, you still use it because the benchmark for us interaction, interacting with something or engaging with something isn't the standard for, for understanding. We don't have to completely understand it to feel like we still are okay with interacting with it. Yet when, we meet, so when I meet a lot of people who don't come to church and I invite them to church or I talk to them about you know, coming and being part of this, this family of faith, trying to figure out our journey with Christ and all this other kind of stuff, Here's, here's an, a pretty common response that I get. Ah, man, I don't really understand all that Jesus stuff. So I, I can't come to church. I don't understand all that stuff. But that's not the benchmark that you use for anything else. You don't understand how your cell phone works, but you still use it. So why in the world do you believe that you would have to understand all that Jesus stuff to come and, and learn and sit and, and really seek out truth? That's not the standard we use for anything else. As a matter of fact, even people outside of Christendom, even people who did not believe that Jesus is who he said, that scripture says that he is, that he was the, the son of God, the Messiah come, the, the, the incarnate one from God, son of God. People who don't even believe that believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher. So, so here's my invitation to, to maybe some of you in the room who aren't yet quite bought into the whole Jesus thing or, or for any of you who are going to invite some friends this week who don't buy into that whole Jesus thing. Here's my, here's my recommendation to you. It's okay to still invite and it's okay to still come and to try and learn together because who couldn't stand to learn from a good moral teacher whether he was the, the son of God or not? See, that was exactly the 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 situation that Nicodemus found himself in. There was evidence of the things that Jesus was doing and the things that Jesus was, was able to accomplish and do and some of the miracles that Jesus had performed. There was too much information for Nicodemus to no longer be able to, to not ask questions. Like uh, there's too much going on here for there to be nothing going on. And so he begins to seek out Jesus with some questions and here's a little bit of context on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, um, was a Pharisee. And not only was he a Pharisee, but he was actually a member of the, the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was the best that the nation of Israel had to offer. He was highly educated, well-respected. Not only was he a group of the religious leaders called the Pharisees, but he was in a, a special sect of about 70 men that made up the Sanhedrin who were responsible for, for um, kind of overseeing and giving insight and direction to all interactions of, of Jewish people of the time, being both social and religious. He was part of the group that oversaw all of that. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, you'll know that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus very much. He was a threat to their way of life. He, all the, lots and lots of reasons that they didn't like him very much. But here we see Nicodemus, this Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, highly respected in the Jewish world, 
there's too much going on with this person called Jesus for him to remain silent any longer. So if you have your Bibles and you'll look with me at John chapter 3, I just want to follow this, this progression of Nicodemus that we, we can kind of gauge and see throughout the gospel of John. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, Now a certain man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and that's the Sanhedrin, came to Jesus at night. All right, so if you, here's a little insight into that, because he didn't want to be seen going to Jesus during the day. He, he, was, he, was, he was on the creep, right? He's like a sneaking out to go meet with Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? And Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born from above. And then Jesus gives them an example to illustrate his point. Watch this, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And here's what Jesus is saying. It's the exact same conversation that we just had a few minutes ago about your cell phone. The wind blows. You know that it's there. You can see the evidence of it. You can see that there's something there, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it goes. But that doesn't keep you from believing in the wind. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you don't have to fully understand everything about what I'm telling you for it to be true. You see, I think if all of us were honest, we would say, we don't know everything. Right? That's pretty, I mean, if I've met some people who thought they did, they were wrong. But all of us at, at the root of who we are know that we don't know everything. And here's what Jesus said. There are some things that are beyond your ability to comprehend. He says, this is the state of living for people who are in the spirit. In other words, those who have received the message of Jesus and believe in him by faith, there are some things that we're just not gonna understand. I don't want to believe and love and worship and serve a God that I can fully explain. Because if I could fully explain everything about God, he's not very much of a God. If he can be explained in terms and in ways that I fully in my finite humanity could understand or express. And so here's the the reality that those of us who are believers live and walk in. There are some things that we take by faith. There are some things about God that if you asked me, I couldn't explain them to you. And I'm kind of glad that I can't. Because if I could, then God is no bigger than my ability to explain. And then we're in real trouble because I ain't that smart. So this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. This is, the, this is the life of people who are in the spirit. 
just some things you have to take by faith. Now, we're going to talk a lot about faith in our next series coming up next week. We're going to start a series on the book of James. Uh, it's going to last for six weeks. Now, we're going to spend six weeks in the book of James. We're going to talk a lot about that, how faith causes us to think, see, and act. But for now, I want to keep reading uh, about Nicodemus' story here in John chapter 3, starting with probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, and we'll, we'll catch through 18. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Now these are verses that a lot of us have heard most likely, memorized perhaps. But I wonder if all of us recognize these to be verses communicated to a man who came with a lot of questions and even more skepticism. And again, kind of hearkening back to some of these people that, that I interact with or that I invite to church or that I have conversations with who aren't yet believers in Christ. And they feel like because they have questions and because they're skeptical and because they're just not sure about this whole son of God thing that they, they can't go any further, that they're stuck where they are with an inability to pursue any further. And that wasn't Nicodemus's case. Nicodemus said, I got questions. I'm going to go to the source. And he did. He came and he asked Jesus. And Jesus explained to him the nature of believing in faith and the nature of what he came to do. That he didn't come to, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And something happened with Nicodemus. So if you fast forward just a, a couple of, of chapters over into chapter 7, what we'll see is that the fame of Jesus is on the rise. He's doing miracles. People are beginning to, to really believe that this possibly could be the Messiah that was prophesied about. This really could be the one that was promised to come. And there's lots of chatter and there's all this stuff going on. Now, the Pharisees don't like this very much. <laughs> Because they still believe that Jesus is just some lunatic, heretic, trying to get all this fame for himself. And he's a threat to their way of life. He's a threat to the, the relationship that the Jewish people had to their, their ruling authorities, the Romans at the time. And so the Pharisees set out on a mission to get rid of this Jesus guy altogether. Get him off the face of the planet in some way, shape, or form. We, we, most of us know how that ends later in his, his uh, unfair judgment trial uh, crucifixion and then resurrection. But in the early stages of this, they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. And so there's, a, there's this coup that's going on among the Pharisees. Now, what was Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee. And so in the midst of all of these men who are, who are conspiring together to get rid of Jesus, we see Nicodemus step in. Now, do you guys remember how much courage it took when you were kids to be the only one to step in and say something when another kid was getting bullied or picked on? It takes a lot of courage, right? Now amplify that by like a thousand and now we get Nicodemus among the Pharisees. And so here's where the story is in the Gospel of John. Uh, the Pharisees have sent some men to arrest Jesus, but they come back 
without him. And I love the reason that they came back without him. We'll read that here together. John chapter 7, verses 45 through 42. The officers returned to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring him back with you? The officers replied, no one ever spoke like this man. In other words, we didn't bring him back because there's something different about him and we didn't want to take a chance. (laughs) Then the Pharisees answered, you haven't been deceived too, have you? None of the rulers or the Pharisees have believed in him, have they? In other words, if we don't believe in him, you shouldn't either. But this rabble who do not know the law are accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of the rulers, said, Our law doesn't condemn a man unless it first hears from him and learns what he is doing, does it? And they replied, You aren't from Galilee too, are you? Investigate carefully and you will see that no prophet comes from Galilee. So let me kind of see if I can explain this in Brian terminology. This is how I understand this, this to be going down. So these men go to arrest Jesus. They come back without him. They tell the Pharisees, hey, we couldn't arrest him. We're a little bit scared of him. He, he talks different. He talks funny. All right, there's something, there's, there's a difference in his language about like he knows something we don't know. And the Pharisees are like, nah, you don't understand. He's just some heretic. Don't be deceived by that. Look, we're not deceived. Just listen and do what we say. Be careful of anybody that ever tells you just listen and do what I say other than your parents, kids. Um, I got your parents. Um, and so they, they kind of, it goes on. And so they, here's what they're doing. They, wanna, they want to, to try Jesus unfairly. No, no trial, no questioning, no, no collection of, of clues or any investigation into the things that he's saying or the things that he's done. They just want to put him on trial and get rid of him. And who steps in? But the one who went to see him at night, who had an interaction with Jesus. And he's the one that steps in and says, no, 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 no wait a minute. Do our laws really permit us to condemn somebody without giving them a trial first? Now, everybody else is on board. Apparently, Nicodemus is the odd man out. And so this is the claim they make. Wait a minute, are you from Galilee too? In other words, are you related to this guy or something? Like, just, just, go, just go along with the way things are. Like, we've got a plan. We've got it all worked out. Let's just, let's just condemn him. Let's just, get him. let's just get him indicted and get him out of our lives. And Nicodemus is like, no, we can't do that. The odd man out. Again, remember back how much courage it takes to be the odd man out in a, in a, in a rabble that's ready to beat up or accuse or persecute somebody? And here's why I, I point this out, because I really believe that it was that night that Nicodemus went to see Jesus. And the way that Jesus talked and the things that Jesus said, that Nicodemus something started to change in his mind. And so if you're taking notes, and I don't have this to put on the screen, but you could write this down as kind of a big idea for, to frame out our time together here today, and it's this. No paths to a relationship with Jesus are the same. All of us come in our own way, in our own time, and in our own way. Some of it's instantaneous, some of it is a process, some of it's emotionally based, some of it's logic based. There's, all of us come to a, into a relationship with Jesus a different way but none of them ever leave the same direction from which they came. I don't believe that you can have an interaction with Jesus truly and leave in the same manner in which you came. I, don't, I think that Jesus and interaction with him always changes our life. And I think, and again, my opinion, 
I don't want to read anything into scripture that isn't there. But in my opinion, something in the mind and the heart of Nicodemus had changed as a result of his interaction with Jesus. And I think that that example or that idea is even further demonstrated by a bunch of chapters later. So we were in chapter 7. Uh, John then from about chapter 8 through chapter 18 uh, really turns his attention to, to telling us the story of the things that Jesus did in his ministry. So we don't encounter Nicodemus again until chapter 19. So if you want to flip there or, or look there with us. John chapter 19 starting in verse 38. I'm sorry, let me give you the context first. <laughs> Jesus has been crucified. And he's dead. There's the context. All right. John 19, verse 38. I didn't feel like it made much sense to start with after this until I told you after what. So after what is the crucifixion? All right, Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He's dead. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So another kind of secret follower of Jesus asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he went and took the body away. Nicodemus, the man who had previously come to Jesus at night, accompanied Joseph, carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 75 pounds. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it with the aromatic spices and strips of linen cloth according to Jewish burial customs. Now at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb where no one had yet been buried. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they placed Jesus' body there. So on the day that Jesus died, there were two men who cared for his dead body. None of the 12 disciples, none of the people present for the feeding of the 5,000, none of the the people, none of the the, the 70 that were in a a crowd that typically followed Jesus, none of the 500 that pretty much showed up every time he stopped to speak. Now there were two men. Both of them kind of closet Jesus people. Now, again, I don't want to read anything into Scripture that isn't there because the Scripture never tells us that Nicodemus became a believer. It never tells us that he preached at a church or that he planted a church or that he even professed to be a believer of Jesus. But on the day that Jesus died, there were two men there to care for his body, both of them that should not have believed and did. Because this is what I believe to be true. Not all paths to a relationship with Jesus are the same but none of them leave in the same direction from which they came. Later, John will tell us near the end of his gospel that there is too much that Jesus did. There are too many things that Jesus did for him to record all of them in his gospel. Yet, on three different occasions, we we read about and hear about, and John kind of follows the story of Nicodemus. I believe there's a purpose to that. There's a reason for that. It's because John wanted us to see that, that not every relationship with, with Jesus begins in a moment, instantaneously. For some people, it's a process. 
Now, I believe, with, I believe I'm going to meet Nicodemus in heaven. I believe that. I can't prove it. It's not in Scripture, but I, I believe that to be true. You can disagree. We can agree to disagree, and that's fine. But I believe that Nicodemus became, eventually became a believer, just based on the three times that we see him in Scripture. I believe that something changes in us when we truly seek out truth, and that's exactly what happened for Nicodemus. He asked questions. He sought the truth. Listen, you don't have to be a believer to hang out with the church. But you do have to want to know what's true. Because that's what we teach and that's what we talk about in this place. Now, oftentimes people want the truth right up until the point where the truth hurts too much. And then they believe that if it hurts this much, it can't possibly be true. Everything in Nicodemus' life should have led him away from Jesus, but there was something inside, something deeper than most are willing to examine that, that, that drew him in. A couple of years ago, I, I preached the message, and I talked about the difference between our thinker and our knower. I don't know if you guys were here for that, a lot of you, but, but there's a way that we think and there's a way that we process that's logical, and then there's a way that we know there's something deeper inside of us that we, we can know something. Even. And oftentimes what we'll see is sometimes our thinker will get in the way of our knower. And I think for a lot of us or for some of us in the room, that's probably our case as it pertains to Jesus. That for a long time, if, even if you are in a relationship with Jesus now, that thing that prohibited you from being a follower of Jesus for a long time was your thinker was getting in the way. You knew, you knew there was something about it, but you couldn't put your finger on it. And because you couldn't rationalize it or logic, or logic it away, it took you a long time. And that's okay. I think that was the case with Nicodemus' life as well. His thinker was getting in the way, but there was too much evidence. There was too much going on for him to not ask the questions and seek out the truth. So here's what I would love for all of us as a church to do together. I want us to ask questions. I want us to seek truth and I want us to find real answers. Now, we, we beat you up a lot about being in connect groups. And here's why. Because there's no better place to ask your questions and to have the conversations than in connect group. So today launches our new connect group session Today, it starts today. We have groups meeting today and all throughout the week. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. Listen, we hear lots and lots and lots of stories from Connect Groups about how they're benefiting and changing the lives of people that participate. Let me tell you what I don't hear a lot of, okay? Here's what I don't hear a lot of. Man, I went to Connect Group, and now I have a greater understanding of the doctrines of Christianity, I don't, I don't hear a lot of those. We, we hear some of those because there's some good doctrinal teaching and good doctrinal discussion that happens in connect groups. Don't, we, we're not absent of doctrine. All right, we, It's kind of foundational to what we do. But let me tell you the stories that I hear most about connect groups or hear most from our connect groups. And I had some questions about this whole Jesus stuff and this Christianity thing and about God. And I didn't really understand this. And then I went to connect group and I was a little bit scared for the first couple of weeks, but finally I got up the nerve to ask my question. And here's what I found out. The other people in my group had the same questions. And then we got to talk about those. 
And as we talked about it, we, we, we either landed on an answer, we figured out this might be just something that we have to take by faith, I don't know. But it was such a relief to find out that I wasn't the only one that had questions. And I wasn't the only one that wasn't fully bought in. I wasn't the only one that hadn't memorized the Bible. And I, was, like, I wasn't the only one. And in that there was freedom and there was relief and there was a renewed passion to go and find answers and find truth. Now, they don't say it that clearly because I'm a professional talker. But that's what I hear when I talk to people who are in a connect group. And so if you've got questions, we'll put it this way. If you don't know everything, you need to be in a connect group. And you need to come with your questions. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. At the beginning of the year, we gave you guys these Be the Kingdom books. If you're anything like me, you've probably lost yours. But you also have a program, and we also have some of those books at the Hub if you would like another one. But in each and every week, there's a place for you to to take some notes during the, the time for the sermon during the week. There's some places in there for you. Here's what I would love for you to do this week. Write down your questions, whatever they are. You want to know where Cain got his wife? You can ask somebody in a, they ain't going to be able to tell you. You, That's an example. But there's lots and lots of, any question you have about faith, about Christianity, about church, about Jesus, about how it all interacts, about faith, anything you want to ask, anything that might be a, a, a block between you and a fully bought in relationship with Jesus, we want you to ask that question. If you're already a fully bought in a Jesus, if you're already a fully bought in Jesus follower, but you still got some questions, bring your questions. Write them down, bring them to Connect Group this week and get around some other people who got questions as well. And let's talk about our questions together so that we can all learn together, so that we can all grow together and mature together. And so we can do the best we can to figure out this whole Jesus following thing because I believe that the better we figure that out and the more that we apply it the bigger impact we're going to make in this city in this community in this county city state and beyond because when we the the more that we seek truth the bible says if you seek you will find knock and the door will be open like ask and it'll be answered when we seek truth god gives it now again sometimes the truth hurts but it hurts for our benefit so this is what i want you to do I want you to sit down either right now or in a few minutes or today after lunch before you take your nap because everybody sleeps on Sunday afternoons. That's what we do. Or after you get up from your nap, sometime today, I want you to take your your Be the Kingdom book or just a piece of paper and I want you to write down the questions that you have. And then I want you to go to Connect Group this week. If you don't have a Connect Group, let us know and we'll put you in a Connect Group. But bring your questions. Maybe some of them you can answer. Maybe some of you can't. The ones that you can't, we're going to ask your connect group facilitators to, to, get the, to collect those. Any questions that, that you don't get a chance to talk about this week, we're going to collect them. And then myself and the other pastors, we're going to do the best we can to just sit down this week and, and write out some answers. And we'll make those available to you. We'll answer as many of your questions as we possibly can. Because we, we want you to feel like this is a safe place to come and to not have all the answers It's okay to have a little bit of doubt. You don't have to fully understand everything about Jesus to follow him. And that's the invitation that we're making to you today. Would you pray with me? Father God, it's my hope that today there's some confidence in, there's some 
that there's some, some freeing nature of knowing that we don't have all the answers. But that that's okay. That, God, we don't have to fully understand everything about you. We don't have to fully understand everything about the things that Jesus did or even some of the things that he said to be in a relationship with him. God, we don't have to know everything to still know you. God, I love the promise from your word in Philippians where it tells us that there's a peace that transcends our understanding. That when all that we know about you is that you love us, that we can walk in a state of peace even without our understanding because we trust you and because we believe that you want good things for us and that you'll help us when things aren't so good. So Father, today, would you give us the confidence to press in, to ask questions, to seek truth. And God, if we don't fully understand, we'll we'll just believe that you're in control and that's enough. We'll believe that you love us because that's enough. And that was never more perfectly demonstrated than through the gift to us of your son Jesus, a sacrifice so that we could once again be in relationship with you the way we were created and designed to live and be. And God, I believe that it's only in a relationship with you that we'll ever find real truth. And some of that hurts and some of that's not easy to do or easy to believe and some of it's even harder to live. But God, it's worth it because it's from you and we trust you. God, thank you for our time together here this morning and for the truth and the picture of Nicodemus in your word. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.